1: Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb.
0: Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Lock On Sox. This is Mailbag Monday Edition. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. How's this evening going for you, Chris?
1: Oh, you know, I'm just reeling in that awesome, awesome Bears game that we saw today, and uh, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but what a Joke of an organization. I know we have to have some Chicago Bears fan crossover here for this episode. As uh, our friend, the great Matt Weber, once said, uh, "Bears fans are Sox fans with coats." It's one of my favorite <laughs> sayings ever. So you know, uh, just just let you know. Just watching that game today, oh, it kind of just set the tone for the whole day. It's a chore watching them. Uh, we've talked about this before, but just having to watch it from a professional perspective, you know, for our work, and then also just Trying to take in into into consideration how we used to watch them for fun, like that seems like so long ago. But yeah, that that's how I'm doing. I'm I'm doing fine otherwise, though. But thank you for asking. How was your birthday weekend?
0: It was good. It was enjoyable. Got home run in. Got uh, sweet Mandy bees. Got a nice White Sox. Coat. I don't know if you guys saw it. (laughs) It was on my
1: Instagram. It's a beautiful jacket.
0: It's the jacket. The jacket. The jacket. I took off Rocco DeMayo. Nice jacket. It's a beautiful jacket. Yeah, I i would have never bought it myself because i would have thought it's too expensive so i would have never bought it but you know yeah. girlfriend's great people nike so she bought it f- for me yeah yeah it's great it's and slick it's like man those nike hell.
1: yeah those nike jackets are real slick after i saw your instagram post at uh, Ecknerall 23 right on the gram it's the same right yeah. so yeah once i saw that i started looking up like i was like i need a down jacket too and nike's got some pretty 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 nice down jackets so mm-hmm. that was a, you're you're very slick there in, in that new winter coat of yours. But uh, yeah, forgive me for uh, we did a two parter Thursday Friday, and I totally forgot to look ahead that it was your uh, your birthday on Friday for the Friday episode. So my apologies to you, sir. And I'm no glad problem. I'm glad you had a great birthday weekend. It's all, always good, you know, treat yourself a little bit when you have someone in your life that'll that'll treat you for you. Oh, even better.
0: Yeah, it's all good. I say to everybody, if you are. I'm 42. If you are whatever age you are, celebrate your birthday. Celebrate your wins. So it's never a bad thing. You're never too old to celebrate a day that uh Others would uh, like to spoil you. My girlfriend's good people, mom, sisters, all that stuff. Friends at work uh, gave me a little extra stuff. Uh, Dick Camp gave me some old dude, not old duels, Some uh, uh, (laughs) Dick Camp trying to trying to drop
1: drop a hint on you. Hey, how about how about some old duels, Herbie, for a change? Switch.
0: switch Um, He he gave (laughs) me fucking alcoholics. I I don't know why I said old deals, but Toi. delicious. I finished all of them by the. Bears game today. Nice, because I was like, "Ugh, no, I'm not gonna be sober for this one." Not at all. I could <laughs> see that happening early, so I know people didn't come for this, but they understand.
1: Hey, we got we, we got to start it off somehow. But yeah, I'm looking forward to raging uh, real hard at my next birthday because I, you know, notably on my birthday this year, uh, there was mass layoffs in our company, and Ed Farmer mm-hmm. passed away. It was literally one of the worst days of my life. So hopefully, April second, 2021. Back at the ballpark with fans, and you know we'll be able to get back to normal life. And I'm going to go in extra, uh, twice as hard uh, for old number birthday 38 next year. Good God! Mm. Uh, speaking of numbers like that, segue uh, episode 71 tonight, Herbie. Uh, we're 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 getting there. We're we're getting there, folks. But at least we have something to talk about here. Uh, jersey number 71, and uh, and the There's only one person I think about. Yeah, and, and we'll get to him in a second. But it was funny. The first man to wear seventy one for the White Sox uh, was Jose Munoz, and I started looking at him. And you know, Jose Munoz wore it in uh, nineteen ninety six for the White Sox, a pretty solid team that year, which we'll get to in a second. But Jose Munoz, born in Chicago, Illinois, so he's drafted by the Dodgers in eighty seven, and then ultimately works his way, uh, you know, his way over to the White Sox and finds himself into. into uh, 27 at-bats in 1996. So that's kind of a cool story right there. Uh, just a, a Chicagoan getting his only cup of coffee uh, with his local team. So I thought that was pretty cool. But then I started looking at the 1996 White Sox again. And, man, was that team loaded. I was uh, I was 13 years old. Uh, I, I'm trying to look back at this team and see how the hell they only won 85 games. Uh, their top wins-above-replacement leader, the war leader, was Alex Fernandez that year with 6.5 War. Then the big hurt. This was a big Dave Martinez year. Uh, Robin Ventura, Wilson Alvarez, Roberto Hernandez, Tony Phillips, Kevin Tappany with a solid year, Ray Durham, Harold Baines for his uh, for his final stint was it was a two he's nearly a three war player in '96. James Baldwin hadn't f- fallen off completely yet, and even Ron Karkovais got in on the mix. This is a pretty good team, and I was looking at it. I was like, I don't remember a lot about this team. I knew they hit, but I'm trying to remember why in the hell or how in the hell they only won 85 games. Maybe it's because they had Terry Bevington as their manager, um, but but also I was just looking at their Pythagorean uh, win loss record, and they were. They should have won well over ninety games. So, Damn. But, but then again, yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah, it's bad luck. Maybe bad luck, bad bullpen. Maybe that's it. Uh, I'm looking at their bullpen. Yeah, you know, you had guys like Jeff Darwin. Uh, you know, you had Mike Bertotti out there. Uh, young Mike Serakka uh, still had Berto though. Yeah, well, he had a great year too. But maybe it was getting to Berto was probably the uh, the problem that year. Uh, but yeah, Scott Ruffcorn, oh, Bill Simis. Yeah, or
0: Seamus. uh, Is Bill Seamus the one that I think the story about Ed Farmer used to tell it uh, (laughs) about uh, the Fourth of July in Canada?
1: I don't remember that one.
0: He was like, uh, "Hey, Ed, do they have the Fourth of July in Canada?" (laughs) And Farmer's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Why aren't they celebrating?" He's like, "Well, it's not their Independence (laughs) Day, Bill." Oh my God!
1: I can't believe there's a, there's a farmer story that I never heard before. Even though it's a Bill Seema story, but still the fact yeah. that he that it was farmer related, it's it's so perfect. But maybe I'm looking at at you, Pete Hand, who uh, White Sox historian and, uh, and and grizzled season ticket holder. Maybe you can paint a picture as to why the '96 White Sox weren't better. Oh yeah, they also shared the division. Well, with
0: McCaffrey with- was getting on a lot of run with his <laughs> seven ERA. That yeah,
1: year. but you look at the uh, the first place team, the '99 uh, victories, uh, Cleveland Indians that year. And uh, that was kind it's of the, yeah before Albert Bell came over, Jim Tomey was nearly an eight war player that year. Charles <laughs> Charles Nagy. I mean this was a good ass team. This is uh this is the team no this was not the World Series team. That was ninety seven. Uh, ninety six would they lose to the Red Sox, the Indians with, with Pedro uh I, I'm trying to remember what happened that year. But yeah they the, lost
0: to Baltimore three to one in the division series. And then
1: wasn't that the Jeffrey Mayer year, Baltimore and the Yankees that was that year, right? Where the fa- the little, so. the boy reached over and stole the uh, stole the ball from uh from the right fielder of or the Orioles. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, the started looking at nineteen ninety six and started wondering what, what in the hell happened there other than you had a buzzsaw and the Indians in your division. But uh so yeah, so that's one uh, number seventy one in Sox history and the one that we're all thinking of uh, of course, would be Scott Linebrink, your guy, Herbie. Cue the Toto. Exactly. Herb would play Hold the Line from Toto whenever we did the radio broadcast and whenever Linebrink came in the game. And everyone thought it was dumb, but it was one of the things that we did to make the broadcast our own. And one of the other things I remember about Linebrink that year, of course, he was uh, he was pretty solid out of the bullpen in that division-winning season of 08, but I remember it, taking calls during the postgame show that year. And whenever Linebrink would have a bad outing, Every fucking time, it just it never failed. Someone would call, "Hey, you know what? This guy, line I call him line stink. Like, oh, do you do you call him that? It's <laughs> August already. You don't think I've heard that one already by some several people like yourself? That just I was so yeah. tired of that at that point. But yeah, uh, a solid reliever for uh, for many years in the big leagues, but not that great with the White Sox. Scott Linebreak.
0: Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, he was probably the second most picked on. White Sox reliever in... You know, our time during the post game. Yeah. Uh, of course, everybody knows that Matt Thornton was uh, everybody's pinata. And Raji <laughs> would try to deflect and try to block and shield for Matt uh, Thornton. But yeah, everybody, that line stink thing, I still, oh, <laughs> uh, God. And they would be thinking they're so clever.
1: You're like, on hold for like an hour and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. it. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to hit him with the line stink and see what they got to say about that. I'm going to rock their world there at 6 7 to score. But yeah, all right. So uh, that that's about all I got for number 71 of course jace fry wore it so uh if without any <laughs> objections i hereby do declare this is the scott linebrook episode of locked on white socks
0: i will do this for jake's former uh, girlfriend <laughs> who uh, i think he gave some things to <laughs> some parting gifts in their relationship yeah allegedly <laughs> yeah allegedly look it up folks i don't <laughs> want to get into it I Wait, want to yeah
1: hopefully you already looked it up from the last time we talked about jace fry but um should we open the bag
0: Yes, All sir. Right.
1: A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. Oh, we love your emails. They keep us warm during these autumn months and into the winter as the hot stove burns. And uh, if you want to get us an email here at Locked on White Socks, how can they do that, Herbie?
0: Locked on Socks at gmail.com. Our email is locked on socks at gmail.com. I know my man Johnny Kess is a little crestfallen that I got Sam from Hinsdale as number one guy. Let's beat him. Let's uh, bring in some better emails then. All these emails are good, but, you know, my man Sam is always coming with the realness. So if you, Johnny get your weight up. Everybody else, get your weight up. Locked on socks at gmail.com. It's not a competition for my love. Just sink it in. <laughs> LockedOnSox at socks
1: And we got some of the uh, some of the old heads checking in to today on this episode, and also uh, some some new people reaching out in the uh, the mailbag. So I appreciate that as well. But this mailbag Monday edition of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And now, the improved built Bar is somehow even delicious-er. They've got six brand new flavors for you. Caramel Brownie, Cookies and Cream, Cherry Bar, lemon, Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, and Apple Almond Crisp. And of course, the 12 original flavors that you know and love so well. My favorite, the German Chocolate. You have Mint Brownie, Banana Bread, Peanut Butter, and Coconut, of course. The built Bars are always covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and so easy to chew and delicious. But Not only are they delicious, they're also good for you. Built Bar is great if you're a health-conscious guy or gal on the go. I like to keep them in my desk drawer at work for those sweet cravings around 3 o'clock when you need a little pick-me-up, a little energy boost, a little protein punch. You can lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat because Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high in fiber. And if you're doing the keto thing, they are perfect for that as well. And now... Built Bar is offering the Locked On White Sox listeners, you guys, a special offer, a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. So go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off of your next order. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. All right, let's get it started, shall we? The mailbag for November 9th, 2020. First question coming in from... Nate, a.k.a. our guy, Mr. Pouty Pants, a longtime score contributor making his way over to Locked on a White Sox. Hi, Mr. Pouty Pants. How are you, Mr. Pouty Pants? He asked this simple question uh, in response to the Rick Hahn's worst day ever broad, uh, broadcast that we did. Uh, what was Rick Hahn's worst day when he introduced Tony LaRusa or the day he traded Fernando Tatis Jr.? That's a good question, Mr. Pouty Pants.
0: You know, some jackass traded Tatis.
1: Uh, I'll let you uh, take a stab at this one first.
0: I think the day he had to introduce Larusa, yes, with Tatis, he didn't. You know the reason why he traded him. He didn't think this guy would be where he is now. I think he thought he would be talented, maybe you know, be a major league player. A lot of times for growth and development. But if he would have, he would have known that Tatis would have been this guy. That day would have been really, really hard. Um, And that was in good faith. That was in trying to win a division uh, back in 16. So I also think I judge trades not necessarily 100% on what the results would be, but, you know, you have to factor that in there. You got to judge it on what the thought process was, what happened uh, in regards to negotiations and then. You know, um, if you're going for it, like they were just doing the old Kenny Williams, go for it this year, worry about the last, the next couple years later type of thing. Still, they weren't in the rebuild mode like they are now and trying to go to the uh, playoffs every year mode now. So hiring, well, he didn't do it, but introducing Tony La Russa, (laughs) which he made clear that it wasn't his thing. Jerry reached out. Tony had the... uh, Interest in Jerry's overtures. All his words were very passive. They were not affirmative. They were like, "Hey, I'm happy about this." They were all bad. He was not allowing. He was not allowing Tony to have a good presser, and he was not going to be faking it. So that day, and we've had subsequent reports that he left the presser, got in his car, and was really pissed. So. I don't think the day that he actually traded Tatis, he knew anything about it, and he was just happy. That was probably a joyous day to get James Shields, a guy that they thought would help him win 2016 division title. But that day introducing, there's nothing – I don't think there's anything in his professional career that's going to even come close to it.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And my, i was trying to remember back to that day in, in 2016 where they traded for James Shields. It, no one mentioned Fernando Tatis. And you can go back and maybe someone on Twitter mentioned it, you know, because there's always people that, uh, that are like prospect huggers and they would have been right in this situation, obviously. But the big takeaway from that day was like, James Shields has been kind of trash <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> in that current season. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. like, okay, we're getting big game James, you know, from the, you know, after he found, you know, Late career success with the Royals, like no, it was like eh, this guy just gave up a home run to Bartolo Colon. I don't know if this guy's got everything left in the tank here. And then of and course,
0: last start before that trade was a ten-run yeah. explosion <laughs> versus Seattle. I remember I was doing the board for. We were sitting the there together. I the think.
1: Oh, you were in San Diego. Okay, I remember watching that game yeah. in the score I studio. Was- so we were watching the game at the same time, and I remember thinking, yeah. "Oh man, damn, James Shields is done." <laughs>
0: Up till that point, he was having a pretty decent year, a James Shields esque year. Because the year before, remember, he's the one on Chris Bryant's debut who made him look silly, like struck him out three times. So that's the year after it. And he didn't look that too far removed from the 15 guy before the 10 runs he gave it up to the Seattle Mariners. I think it was in one inning. But before that, you just mentioned it the Bartolo Colon home run in San Diego. Was to James Shields? Yeah, it was a rocket. And so, yeah, he was showing signs to kind of like the correction that we were talking about with Matt Latos a couple of years ago, where he was pitching well, the numbers looked good, and then a correction came, but it came like within two starts. It was like real quick instead of a slow, gradual one.
1: You know, I just you know thinking off the top of the head here because that's what we do. I don't really think a a ton about the White Sox until we open up these microphones, and it shows. Um, Just (laughs) getting James Shields like into the fold, like with the new coaching staff, maybe. Like I don't know, whatever the lowest position you could give him, like I don't know, bullpen coach or something like that. I I don't know how that works, but I don't. I don't know. Maybe give him a, a role inside the organization. Like people just loved having that guy around. That's the one takeaway I'll always have from his White Sox tenure: is that even when he was back. Had, like people still enjoyed having him around so I don't know if he's got a coach's mind or if it's just like you know just a, a good teammate but you know maybe kick the tires on bringing him around or you're speaking to the team or something because he's still a World Series champion so bring him bring him back in uh, in spring training and, and have him deliver a message to the to the young core with a chip on their shoulder like I would like them to bring old big game James back in the fold somehow because by all accounts very good teammate but uh, yeah I think by far introducing Tony Larusa had to have been Rick Hahn's worst day so thank you for the Email Mr. Powdy Pants, Mr. Pouty Pants, next one coming up here. We got some hot fire. We got my guy Jorge checking in uh, and he's going to set things straight for us because Jorge comes in hot and he says this. He goes, you guys and many others need to quit whining about the Tony hire. I think it's a great day for White Sox baseball. I'm 58 years old and have been a Sox fan since 1970. And I like the hire. Yeah, fan credentials. I love it, baby. But I like Jorge checking in. It's a first-time email from Jorge. Uh, he says I like the hire based on the following. We'll we'll break this down by each part here. Number one, Tony is a Hall of Fame manager with the history and a proven winner. It will not be outmanaged by by like Rick Renteria was. Baseball is still baseball. I agree with that in many aspects. Uh, today's managers manage too much by the stats and do not allow themselves to deviate based on the intangibles of the game that is in front of them. Yes, stats has its place on decision-making, but the human element on decision-making is what I think Tony brings to the table, along with being a statistician. And he has that exclamation point. What do you make of that first point from Jorge there? First of all, Jorge, welcome aboard. We're, we're not ageist by any means. I was just talking to my dad today about the Tony La Russa years. So, you know, it, it's kind of a mixed bag. Even older guys that I've talked to, not everyone is universally agreeing with this move. So it just it's not a demarcation point. A certain age, people like to hire. You know what I mean? So it, it's you, you're getting all types of uh, opinions from Sox fans of all ages. So thank you for checking in, as always, Jorge. Yeah,
0: this is a thing. It goes counter to what Rick Kahn has professed. He wanted a guy that can lead them to multiple championships. And to do that, you have to – I think this uh, window's open for five to six years. So Tony is, what, 76 right now, six years from now, 82? You think, really, he'll be wanting to do the grind of 162, the travel of 162, the stress, all the stuff that, you know, make this job hard. Um, you think a 76-year-old who's already been in the Hall of Fame – wants to do that has the desire to do that if he does god bless but for most people it's like no let me enjoy the spoils of what I've done travel a little bit no stress enjoy I'm already in the hall of fame my legacy is set so this is the problem I don't think Tony LaRusso will be here at the end of this White Sox run right now he might be here because he ruined it (laughs) or he ruined the culture but where they're planning the f- next five six years? No, I don't think Tony Russo will make it that long. He's just gonna be a couple years. I'm predicting two years. Yeah, the, and that's okay. Two years if they win.
1: Done. Yeah, if they win in two years, that's I fine. I don't yeah. think they're
0: gonna win a World Series in the next two years. Oh,
1: okay. It's tough. See, I, I think mean, are
0: we? We're we're still not even that good yet.
1: I know. Well, yeah, like I said about this move uh, with Tony La Russa, ask me on spring training when the roster is a little more defined. But yeah, I think if they if they supplement the roster this year, I think they'll win within the next two years. So, I, I you know, I could see him winning. Uh, Maybe not this year. Maybe they go a little deeper in the playoffs in 21 and then finally get over the hump in 22 and then him bowing, bowing out after that. I could see that and then hand it over to someone else. But uh, we'll get into uh, – there's some more points here from uh, Jorge. Uh, he says he successfully managed multi racial Hall of Fame personalities in Oakland. Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, Dave Stewart, Mark McGuire, and, of course, with the Cardinals, Pujols, Molina, Ozzy Smith, Jim Edmonds. And he related to them and let them be themselves. Um. Yeah, I, I agree with that point by and large. Uh, that that point on uh, on its own merit, it is a pretty solid one, and I don't think you can dispute that. Uh, his track record is pretty clear, and just you know, baseball by its nature, you're going to have a lot of uh, multi ethnicities in your clubhouse, and you know, I, there's never been a documented issue uh, in the past. Uh, is what we've always said you know, with, with Tony La Russa, at least as least far as I can I can see. Uh, as far as looking back into his tenure in, in Oakland and St. Louis and early days with the White Sox. But, yeah, it, it, it's a fair point, um, unless you uh, have anything to add to that particular point, Herb. I don't think there's much you can dispute about, about Jorge's point number two.
0: Yeah, congratulations. You know, black people. I know black people and Hispanic people. All right. uh, it's fine. I just think he's out of touch. That's, all right, that's we'll,
1: we'll get to that point here in, in just a bit. I've uh, been
0: proven wrong in many things, so let him prove me wrong.
1: Okay, point number three. This is a successful, he has in parentheses, Latin, Italian baseball manager that speaks Spanish and has related well with all his players and has successfully taught his players to play as a team. He is not a public official that needs to create successful public policies and programs. I am for a PR background. I'm from a PR background, and I'm tired of the politics tied to sports. Give me back the sports arena that is void of politics. Now, here's where I think uh, that there's a generation gap here. With all due respect, Jorge, because you're, you're seeing now with with millennials and people are more in touch with things that go around go on in the world around them because of social media. young people are just more politically active uh, lately. I, I believe in the last few years definitely last four years for certain. So you know you have to take into consideration what are a managers sort of, I guess you can call it political views when Tony La Russa had those unfortunate comments about Colin Kaepernick and and kneeling for the anthem and being against the flag. And basically, you know, conflating all those things that, that people had so much of a problem with that weren't listening to what Colin Kaepernick was saying. You know, I think my opinions even evolved over the years on it, you know, because I admit because I come from a, a police family background. So I kind of had my biases in that. But one thing I never got it confused with was that it was anti-American because it's the most American thing you could do. And the way he approached it was he asked a former Green Beret, what is the most respectful way to go about it? So when you have unfortunate comments like that, that relates directly to players you have in your clubhouse today because – I, I, like I said, I think players are more politically conscious now, and that's a good thing. I think young people n- more now than ever are more aware of the of everything going on in the world around them. So I, I think it is valid, and I don't think you're ever going to see a world where where sports are void of of politics from now on. It just I think that's just the way it is going forward because we're in the information age. We are able to find out things so much faster and see things as they happen. It's hard not to be invested. Uh, in the political arena because it affects everyone. So, you know, I don't know what you have to say about that, Herb. You've spoken very eloquently on the topic uh, in the past. But, yeah, I think this is where we have uh, a little differing opinion on uh, on Jorge's email here.
0: Yeah, uh, I think politics and sports, and I put politics in quotes because freedom and human rights is not politics. It's exactly what I just said it was. Um, they've always gone hand to hand, hand in hand. People now lionizing Muhammad Ali for what he did during his career literally would be the same people saying, keep that shit out of here. You got to go and register for Vietnam. You got to go and fight. You're a draft dodger. I don't like this guy. Now, like, man, what a revolutionary. What a guy that did fought for something he didn't believe in and didn't want to serve. And his, his Christian or his uh, Muslim beliefs – didn't want him to be in this war. So, yeah, I think that what Colin did is akin to that. And when we look back, and we, we already seen the difference from 2016 to now, people's attitudes change towards Colin Kaepernick. And once we get 20 years from here, people will be like, man, we're revolutionary. And that's going to be the most uh, popular uh, sentiment for Colin Kaepernick instead of, you know, back in, in the day, I think it was like a 50-50 split on Americans and how they felt about him. Now it's, what, 75% or they did some polling 80% are in favor of what he did. And when we get 20 years from now, it's going to be 95% of the outliers. is going to be the people like they're going to look at weird. Like, no, those are those are half and half. That's what's going to – that was what's happening back in, in 2016. I think that people feel uncomfortable with real life. They know it's there they ignore it as much as they want to, and then they try to use this, I use sports to escape from the real world type of thing. It's like, do you in your real world life do something not to propagate uh, police brutality or not something to ignore all the things that happen in this world that you don't want to pay attention to now when Colin's kneeling ne- peace- peacefully protesting? No. So if you can just have... 2 minutes just to reflect on what he's protesting for then you're a terrible human you need to just listen to other people sometimes and if you don't agree cool just you can you can disagree silently but to say i don't like politics and sports i think is a very selfish and privileged opportunity uh, thing for somebody to say it's weird like you don't can't take 2 seconds out of your day to say let me think about somebody else who doesn't maybe have it the same way I do. Let me think about some other group of people that might have been mistreated. Why is he doing this? Oh, he's a spoiled rich guy. He plays bat, uh, football and didn't do this until he was a second string guy. Just wanted to keep in the spotlight. Type of garbage that we kept on hearing about. Like it's such a small period of time. Then you're going to complain about the protest. It just doesn't make sense to me. Keeping politics out of sports is the weirdest thing because Tim is not just a baseball player. He's a black man. When he goes home and deals with things that black men deal with. And he goes to the inner city of Chicago, lives in the city, not in the city, but in the, in the suburbs and moves to here. So he can help people of the city of Chicago. Not just one of those guys is walk or talking. He's walking the walk out there and he's beating the street, talk to people, um, just a second ago, I think, what's Friday, uh, King Vaughn, what's his name? King Vaughn, yeah. rapper from Chicago, yep. died. Mm-hmm. Tim had met him, had been in the hood, but, you know, chopped it up with him. And I think he sent condolences out to the guy. So he's not just one of those dudes that's just out there yapping and talking. He's out there doing. And if you can't allow Tim Anderson to do what he wants to do, kneel on opening day for Black Lives Matter, or his friend he lost to gun violence, then you should look in the mirror and think about what you love in your life. And if you had a a platform like that, if you would want to do something like that, I just think it's very short-sighted for somebody to talk about politics in sports. Like it hasn't happened all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, I just, just bringing it back around to La Russa and trying, trying to make it poignant to what we're talking about here. Just that's not the only, the only issue is just what's going on. In, in the black community you also have players from other backgrounds as well like I think about Wilson Contreras and a couple seasons ago you know he, how he got so emotional because of, of everything that was going on in Venezuela and it didn't get a lot of media attention at the time but the, I guess the, the moral of all of this is like players from all different walks of life are going to have different things that are happening in their worlds and a lot of times it's It's, you know, politically related because it's directly tied into the well-being of their family and friends in this country or another. So you have to be in tune with that as a manager and sort of have the the pulse of your room and just know it's again, it goes back to managing people, you know, and, and doing what's best for them and being sensitive to their issues because we're finding studies are showing that millennials you know they they're a little bit different they want to know the why and they want to know why you do the things you do and you know they they're not it's not like they're disobedient or whatever but they just want to know the process behind it because we live in the information age so they want to know why what you're saying is going to help them and how it's going to uh, you know be executed so again it's it's not always just the Tim Anderson thing but you have all types of issues that can arise in your clubhouse, and you want to have someone who's who's warm and sympathetic uh, to people going through those issues, and not just sort of uh, you know turn a blind eye and and just not being an active part of it, you know. Because I think people are going to notice if you're genuine. He talked about Tony La Russa talked about players being genuine and sincere. They're going to be able to tell that if he's being genuine or sincere when something arises uh, in in the world abroad and it's taking a toll on their clubhouse. So. You know these guys come from all over the globe, man, and you have to be in tune to all their issues and to sort of just be this person who just sort of puts you, you puts a, puts blinders onto it, like he mentioned with the, the Kaepernick situation, and just being ignorant to, to to the whole thing in general. Like that's that's not good. That's not what the type of person you want your manager to be in this day and age. It may have worked back in the '80s and, and early '90s, uh, but I think now players are a little bit different. Uh, we're just wrapping up Jorge's email here. Um, Accountab- accountability is what was lacking in this present Sox team. I think I'd agree with that. Manager needs to make decisions based on winning games, not worried about player feelings. Player and manager need to adapt to each other for one common goal. I see him as a bridge to grooming another manager from his bench to take over after his three- or four-year tenure. Sox will win a championship and maybe more with Larusa. Go Sox. All right, thank you very much, Jorge, for your uh, for your. Your, uh, your well constructed email with your thoughts, uh, but just uh, and his, his, his closing part there about accountability. I, I think there's some truth to that. You know, uh, we, we saw Dallas Keuchel come out and, and take his team to task earlier on in the season, and maybe that's a sign that. Maybe that's something a manager should have said and not a brand new free agent who barely knows his teammates. You know, But again, that's why Dallas Keuchel is getting paid what he's getting paid as well. So sometimes, sometimes he has to be the asshole in the room. But I think a manager would have a better uh, gauge on the team temperature uh, in that spot. What do you think about that?
0: Um, yeah, I, it should have been somebody else, but those are also grown men. And maybe it takes somebody with fresh eyes like Dallas Keuchel to point it out. Maybe Ricky had gotten so used to it being a couple years here as the manager, a couple from being a bench coach, understanding like, okay, this is how the guys operate. And, you know, I'm not going to, you know, get into their way, especially since we are better than I expect. I think at the time they're about 11 and nine underachieving a little bit, but, he had been through a couple of like four or five losing seasons, so he got a little used to it. And I think maybe Dallas's fresh set of eyes can see it and had the bravery and the uh, courage to talk about that stuff in their face and then tell the media about it. So, yeah, um, if Tony can do that better than Ricky Renteria and he's the fresh set of eyes you need, smooth. I don't need him to be a disciplinarian. These are grown men. They understand what they need to do to be that taskmaster Past master of the olden days, I don't know if that's going to work with these players. They've had a certain type of level of comfort, and as we heard with Tim Anderson, he's not going to change the way he does things, not going to be not pimping, not throwing bats because Tony's there, and if you got a problem, he's going to be talk to him, so what Tony needs to do is just point out things that will enhance the team um, and make a net positive effect on the team. Yeah, Sometimes if he needs to yell at a player for doing something that is not smart and it's a reckless play, fine. But I don't think him being a taskmaster will serve anybody well here. You don't play better baseball because you're angry at your manager? That's worse.
1: (laughs) I didn't see a lot of reckless play from the Sox in 2020. For for the most part, they played a a well-disciplined game. Certainly areas you can improve. Eloy's defense – First, you know, but I didn't see a lot of, you know, they, they they were they were good sportsmen out there, you know, they 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 played the game the right way by and large, um, you know, I I don't think there's many areas to clean up there in that regard, but I think, you know, if if there's one thing Tony's got going for him, it is a fresh set of eyes, and you remember what it was like when. Jimmy Rollins and Todd Frazier came in here in 2016, and they were like, what the hell is going on in this clubhouse, man? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, with the whole Drake LaRoche thing, and, you know, I think Adam Eaton was a part of that thing as well. So maybe a, a fresh a fresh set of eyes on your organization is not always a bad thing. So it, it, to Tony's credit, uh, maybe he'll see some things. You know, devil's in the details. This guy's a Hall of Famer, and maybe his astute eye can point out things in preparation in, in the scouting or just anything along the way that you know what we can tweak this here or there and be better. So I, I think we're all uh, thinking, you know, thinking positive thoughts in that regard. So thank you Jorge for the email. I, I can't wait till we can just stop talking about Tony Larusa, but we have another Tony Larusa email here. I, I'm hoping sooner than later we could talk about some player acquisitions. But so that about does it. We're gonna we're gonna cut things a little short here. We still have uh, a few emails left to go, and we're about at the half hour point here. So we'll break this up into two parts, and we'll. Check back in with you guys tomorrow on Talk to Us Tuesday, a newly found uh, offseason feature here in 2020. But we've got more stuff on Tony La Russa. Yay. Uh, We've got some questions about, uh, you know, what two teams in Chicago would you like to see win a World Series? We've got some free agent theories by some of our listeners um, and some coaching staff suggestions as well so definitely stay tuned for that episode tomorrow which will be the carlton fisk episode uh, but finally we have someone of note so that's Are you a- sure
0: it's a carlton fisk well episode? yeah Let,
1: let's let's reevaluate tomorrow let's regroup and Goodness see we got, i know i'm sorry for jumping the gun on that one okay we'll get to that tomorrow but that's all i got for you guys tonight what about you herb how can I get a hold of us for next monday's mailbag monday
0: it is locked on socks at gmail.com our email is lockedonsocks at gmail.com. Send your comments, your questions, whatever you want to send to us. No naked pictures. Don't send that. <laughs> Just send it to lockedonsocks at gmail.com. For Chris <laughs> Tannehill, follow him on Twitter at Chris Tannehill. Me, Herb Lawrence, Hector 23 The show is at lockedonsocks, both on Instagram and on Twitter. So thank you and tune in for tomorrow's resumption of Locked On Socks.